This is the Property Solopreneur Podcast, and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Today, I'm talking to Vicky Woucher, who I've known since 2008. And if you've not met her before, I suggest you get a pencil and paper because there are going to be lots of nuggets today that you'll want to take away from it. Now, she's a solopreneur and she too shares my love of single lets. So, wow, you're going to be in for a treat. And she fits in property and she is very successful at it. I mean, at the peak of the last recession, she was buying one to two properties a month around her life, not the other way around. And that's because she does all sorts of other things outside property, including writing. In fact, she's got five books to her name and she was a finalist in the Business Book Awards in 2020. So there's not much she doesn't know about all this stuff. So I will give up trying to introduce her and just let her speak for herself. Vicky, lovely to see you and to have you with me today. And for those of you who've never met Vicky before, she is, well, the Telegraph described you as one of the 25 most important and influential people in property. So it just goes to show if you if you don't know about her, you need to go and look her up because she's quite something. You didn't start life out in property, though, did you? You had a completely different career. Yes. Hi, Rachel. I was a, a university lecturer, loved, absolutely loved my job, was involved in lots of government-funded projects where I was a director for New Deal for Communities, which was a particular strand of government funding. I worked on a project called Refugees for Jobs, where I was a director there, which was helping refugees become qualified in their professional fields here in the UK, having a wonderful time. And then government funding ended. And with that, I was redundant. And the interesting thing is I had a team of six and I had to make all my six redundant and yet still surprised myself where when I came to the end of it and I was person number six, that I was made redundant, even though I'd been going through the process for a year. And it was just shocking Shocking in all sorts of ways. It was a grief for something that I lost, that I loved doing. I loved my job, but also shocking in the how financially vulnerable I was. And I think that's that's where our conversation is really going to wander around, that, that idea of financial vulnerability. I, I'd always worked as a, a contractor, if you like. But this still shocked me to the core. Because, you know, you brought up children on your own and you were the breadwinner. So yeah. you know, property to you is not a nice little thing on the side for a bit of pin money. It was definitely something that was going to make a fundamental difference to your family. Yes. Not, not so much that I thought that I would end up where I am now with it actually being a business that generated a wage for me, but very much that I did not want to be in that position I was again, ever, whether I was running my own business or working with someone or whatever I chose to do next. I never wanted to be in the position where anybody else had control over my finances, control over whether my children and I could eat next month by 
turning on or turning off my wage tap, my income tap. And so property was a way that I could, in the early days, take some income that we had, leverage it, make it worth more than it was by the use of mortgages, invested in property, which I thought if I could well manage them, wouldn't take a lot of my time. And when they are well managed, they won't take a lot of your time. And so it could be a sideline. But rather than a sideline, which almost as you described it before, oh, a nice little have to, it's not a sideline in that way. It was the the belt to your braces or the, the foundation of everything. You know, it was something really, really important in my financial future. Absolutely. And you've always been keen to point out that it's a long game, isn't it? It's not something you do for a quick flash in the pan and then run away from. It's legacy and it's an ongoing thing. Yeah, I think I think there are various strategies that you could consider, but that's not what I'm about. And I think overall, if all you're looking to do is to go into property for a quick buck, then what you're doing is gambling. So you can call the strategy whatever you like. You can call it flipping. You could call it development. It's usually around making a a multiple of a capital gain. And if you want to choose that strategy, that's fine. But understand that where you're going there is with a gamble. You're hoping that when you buy something and do something to it and that you sell it, you're going to sell it for that much more that it was worth the time and the effort. And I think that's what people fail to do. They see a potential opportunity and they don't dig in enough to understand the risks and the consequences. Whereas for me, property is the equivalent of a brick bank. Each little house is a brick bank. I put some money in that bank and my tenants are very nice. They're the ones that pay me the return on my investment. And there are some costs, mortgage, few repairs, gas certificate, that type of stuff. But at the end of it, I come out with a profit and that profit is monthly, is broadly guaranteed as much as anything is guaranteed, as long as the tenant is there and the tenant is paying. It's a guaranteed money that's coming in. And so it's much more secure. And if it was secure, why would you not want it to be long term? So it's just, I think it's always comes back to, we talk about property strategies. And when people talk about property strategies, they talk about, oh, buy to let, HMO, redevelopment, flip. But really that's a technique. The strategy is, why are you investing? What is it that you want property to do for you? And I wanted it to be the thing that provided financial resilience, something that was never going to leave me in a place where I had no other source of monthly income that I could rely on. Absolutely. And that's very interesting that you say there is a difference between strategy and technique, because I think that does get lost in the noise of property. And people just, they get going. And because so many people are on courses or things like that, or even going into a property room, they get swept along with the fact that they should be doing so much per year, turning over so much, and they lose sight of the fact that some of this takes a long time to come to fruition and maturity. And it isn't just about flipping and it isn't just about HMOs. You've got to look at the whole of your lifestyle and your business because you know, you've mentioned flipping, but a lot of people go, well, I've got to have cash flow. I've got to do HMOs. And, you know, they have difficulty getting their children out of the front door in the morning, let alone running four grown up children in an HMO somewhere. That is the difficulty. People don't always realise there's there's so much more to it. And yet it can be so simple. Yeah. And that's the beauty. I mean, I lo- I, I've recorded an episode on why I love my single lets, which so many people are so 
dismissive of. Yes. Poor little you with your many single lets, you know. Well, actually, they don't, they're so easy to run. I know. I would totally agree. I just was literally speaking to a client before this call and um, they're expat investors. And we were having that conversation and I was saying, yes, you can go for HMOs, but I think that they are an advanced strategy. Now, what you've got to understand about property is it's an, an incredible way to leverage your money. But it's also an incredible way to either leverage or waste your time. If you get the system set up and you call them your simple buy-to-lets, I call them my vanilla buy-to-lets. Yeah, same thing. They're just plain. They're just boring. But you know what? They produce money time and time again. They have families that want to live in them. Some of the families have been in there 10 years or more. Some of the families might not have been in there that long, but will stay there for the next 10 years. Why would you want to switch never knowing on a weekly basis whether one of your four or five tenants is going to move out. And as soon as they move out, you've got to jump into action. You've got to start the whole marketing all over again. You've got to get the property or that room specifically, you know, brightened up again for the next person. You might have to buy new mattresses. It's just harder work. And and I can run my entire portfolio on a couple of hours a month. And that includes dealing with a couple of repairs if I need them. Yes. And I think that's the upside of single lets. And I think it appeals to the likes of you and I and a variety of other people we know who have very full lives in many other directions. To me, property is not all consuming. It is, it is something I do and I, you know, it is my main way of making money, but I do other things as well. And I think I, for instance, wouldn't want to do HMOs. I do student lets, but again, they're, they're managed out of, out of um, house. I don't do them. I wouldn't want to do anything which would interrupt my life. And um, I suppose that means I'm terribly selfish. I don't know. Or I just didn't want to have a job and then create myself a property job. Yes, um, exactly. So it, you know, it is it is horses for courses. We've all got to do the bits and pieces that we really, really enjoy. But I think you're definitely a solopreneur. Everything radiates out of you, everything you do. And with your university lecturer head on. Do you think there are key qualities that solopreneurs have got to enjoy? You mentioned before we started talking that you loved a good spreadsheet. Yeah, I think somewhere, you know, it's interesting because you're using the word solopreneur and then that sort of almost implies if you don't have all these skills, then you can't do it. Whereas I think what you've got to do is, is as a solopreneur, if we're going to use that term, is be good at identifying risks and identifying opportunities. And again, I don't know, if I was to score myself, I'd probably be better at identifying the risk than the opportunity. I'm not going to say that I'm, you know, one of these investors that's got the magnifying glass that knows the next best area, but I have an ability to identify an opportunity in the broad term, identify risks because I can go down into the micro. It just so happens that I'm good at maths. And I think if you're not, then you can teach yourself some of the fundamentals, right? Just because you may or may not have had a bad experience at school, or it may or may not be your favorite thing. You could be left brain versus right brain or whatever. It is something you could teach yourself, or you make sure that you get it in You get that skill into your business. You have an advisor or an accountant or a bookkeeper, but when they speak to you, they speak to you in a language that you can understand. So even if you're not doing the maths, you understand the output of the mathematical sum and you can make a decision on that. But I I do think you need some of that maths. And then the bigger things, really, which I don't know if they're skills or character traits, but 
you know, self-motivated, determined, focused. I have all of those things in differing measures on different days and different weeks. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, oh, it's are, you, are you only up to some days going, nah, don't want to get out of bed? Um, that is so me. I think, did you say that you felt that you were lazy? Yes. Oh my goodness. That is absolutely me. I think you've called me, um, a solopreneur or whatever else. And and I just think, do you know what? All I am is, is a lazy, simple investor, right? That's it. I want property to, in a sense, be a self-managed business. Obviously, I'm going to keep oversight on it. And occasionally I get a little bit excited and I might go and buy another one or I might not. But just crack on because there are other things that I want to do in my life. And some of those other things are running my other businesses. But some of those things are, do you know what? It said it's going to be nice weather at the end of this week. So I don't want to work Friday. So I'm going to check my diary and I haven't got anything on the diary on Friday. So that's it. I'm bunking off. And I actually have in my diary, Mondays is for me. So if I want to work, I will. And if I don't, I won't. And I don't work Fridays on Fridays, which I can choose to work if I want to and not if I don't want to. I don't tend to work after four o'clock unless it's someone I like who needs me to speak to them. I have one client, I always speak to her at 5.45, but I like her as a client. And so I will do that for her. I have one other client who uh, likes to speak at 8.30 in the morning and we joke about how hard it is to get out of bed but we do to speak to one another but generally I wouldn't book a call much before 9 30 if I didn't want to I always start the year with the calendar it's up there and I put all the the red dots and the red lines which is what I've got planned for the year for me and my time off so this is all sounding a bit me but that's my strategy my strategy is to make my life as easy as possible and as enjoyable as possible and so what I want to do and how I want to spend my time is as much of my strategy as the actual buy-to-let investing technique that I use. Yes, I couldn't agree more. People are often very surprised when I say to them on my strategy days, right, have you marked out your holiday? Have you marked out the time you're spending with your children? And they go, well, no, before you start doing any of the other stuff, You've got to put those in. Otherwise, the days go by. You you know, the diary becomes very full and you suddenly realise you haven't had a holiday. And if you're going to take the risks and the financial problems and everything else that comes with investing, you might as well make sure your life is worth it. Take the rewards. (laughs) Otherwise, go get yourself a job. At least if you had a job, somebody would give you 20 days off a year. You don't have a minimum of 20 days off in the year. What are you doing it for? It's just nonsense. You're not going to get sick pay. You're not going to get holidays. You're not going to get any of this unless you put it in for the calendar for yourself. And I listen to some people and they go, oh, I haven't had a holiday for years. And I go, well, I'm sorry. sound horrible again, but you're not going to get any sympathy (laughs) from me because that was your choice. You didn't create your business in a way. And it's like you and I, we're doing podcasts now. And and I had a brief go at that clubhouse malarkey. And it, it meant that you had to have a show on a set day. And I tried it for three weeks and I was just strangled by the thought that I had to show up on a Monday at one o'clock. It was stifling and suffocating. Not that it actually happened to interfere with anything on the first three Mondays, but I've given it up by the fourth. And that's not because I don't have stickability or anything else. I've been in this business for nearly 18 years. It's because I don't want to do anything 
that forces me to do anything. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Because there is a point when you are doing property that you are financially safe and that you are getting a decent enough income from the stuff that is rented out. And it's at that point, you've really got to make a decision. And if working for yourself and arranging your time is not something you can cope with, that is the moment you have to jump back into a job if you've come out of one. And many people do them side by side. But if you are going to say property going forward is my life and how I earn my living, you've also got to be grown up and have the responsibility to arrange everything else and not expect some employer to go and do it for you. Because of course, we haven't touched on even the fact that, you know, if you're not working for someone, you've not got a pension. Mm. So, you know, property has got to not only produce the money now, it's got to produce your pension for the future. And none of us, of course, have got a crystal ball on that. But both you and I both know that we can sell our, our much decried single lets and they will in the future be a lovely little lump sum, which in many cases will be considerably bigger than a pension that you have worked day in, day out to get. I was just speaking to someone earlier where I was looking at someone's pension and they had £150,000 in the pension and they were in their 40s. And I just said, oh, my Lord, you know, you're not going to be able to touch that money for another 20 to 25 years. Right. So you've got to keep working for the next 20 to 25 years. When you do get to the end, if you're really lucky, maybe that pension gives you a thousand pounds a month. Right. If I took your 150,000 and I'll just keep the number simple, I could get you three buy to lets. Let's say they got you roughly 300 a month. Let's round that 900 up to make it nice. You get a thousand a month coming in from those properties today when you're in your 40s and for the next 25 years, all of a sudden you've got 12 grand a year for 20 years coming in. That's nearly quarter of a million pounds before you even retire. And if you had another 12 grand coming in a year, maybe you'd only work a four day week in a fight instead of a five day week. And so if you had that money, you could actually start your retirement in your 40s. Yes. Why would you not do this? Uh, yes. I think many people work on a year by year basis not realising that it's when you look back. I mean, so when I, for instance, are looking at some of my properties and doing the numbers on them, and you know, I remember buying my very first property at 115000 which extraordinarily I thought was an enormous amount of money at the time, but never mind. It has, you know, I bought that, what, over 20 years ago now, and it has paid its own mortgage off. And so I now have a wonderful asset that is paid off, which I didn't pay off. It's given me all my money back out. And then every single month, it gives me nearly £800. Now, I can't think of any other way of doing something as so productive as that. And of course, you know, when I come to sell it, which inevitably I will at some point because it's nowhere near me, that's a nice little lump sum. But if I had looked at it within the first five years of buying it, the sums would have looked different. And so therefore, I think it is something that most property investors who are new have got to get their heads around, which is your spreadsheets will change year on year, depending on how long you've been in the game and what you want to do with it. And that presumably is something you completely agree with. Oh, totally, totally. And I just love the fact that you explained that point there. You know, here you are 20 years after you've bought it, it's mortgage free and giving you 800 quid a month. I mean, La-di-da, that's wonderful stuff. Yes. Isn't that amazing? But that's because you stuck at it for the long term, you know? Yes. And of course, the other thing that many people fail to realise, and I know you will have been through this, 
is that the market is not always favourable. It's not always an investor's friend. No. You know, at the moment, everything costs a fortune. So everyone is squeaking about not being able to find stock and it all being very expensive. But that same stock in five years' time, if the market crashes, will be worth less. But that's one of the gambles, as you to say your word, that we have to take as, as investors. And you take the rough with the smooth and you just make sure the numbers constantly work. But if your overall overarching strategy is to invest in property for the cash flow for the long term and nothing is forcing you to sell in the meantime, what you do is you sort of you surf the waves. In fact, you're Ooh. not even surfing the waves. You're you're floating the waves because the surf implies that you come to shore and it ends. But, you know, you're just floating along and everything is fine. And when it suits you, I mean, like we're doing a, a major build at the house at the moment. And so I thought I'd have a look at the portfolio. Some of them had gone up very nicely. And so I decided that I would sell them out. You know, we had a we had a joint portfolio and then we had a personal portfolio. And so I've sold off all the ones in the joint portfolio, paid off all my family members. They've got their money back out and they've got money on top of that, which was more than the interest they could have ever got in the bank. Plus they've had life insurance paid for them throughout because we did that as part of our portfolio planning. And here we are, we've all got some nice little lump sums, but we did it because the market conditions were right. We didn't do it because we had to. It was a choice. Whereas if you're in a strategy that's flipping or development, you don't have a choice because you've gone into it with the specific goal that I'm going to buy it now and I'm going to sell it then. And if the market isn't right then you're going out into an unfavourable market. I remember talking about this in, you know, do you remember the Berkshire property meets back in, I think, oh, 2014? Yes. I do remember the Berkshire because I used to live in Germany at that point. And, yeah. and I used to travel all the way from Germany once a month just to attend. Just to come. <laughs> so I, I spoke at the Berkshire property meet in 2014. And I think I was a very contra speaker in that everybody was going on about all oh, developments, developments. And what I showed was that if you took a property and you developed it, and I did the whole spreadsheet... I reckon probably everybody snoozed, but I know I was right. Take the spreadsheet, show the developments, show that if you want to make that amount of profit at the other end, which is a worthy percentage of profit given the, you know, the risk of your money going in, you've got to have a number that's worth the risk, but also would pay your wages. You would actually be creating a house product that was so expensive that given the current wages, nobody could afford a mortgage to buy that property. And therefore, you were creating a product that couldn't go out onto the residential market, could only be sold to an investor who had an HMO technique or strategy up his belt. You know, it's just I've mixed all my metaphors there. You would have had a you would have had a, an HMO technique up his sleeve. Yes, that's that. we got that in though. his belt. Yeah, some of, <laughs> anyway, he would have been planning to do HMOs, and therefore the market would have been very narrow. And as soon as you sell investor to investor, you know that they're going to want a deal. So they're bound to squeeze you on your profit. And therefore, what you could have done was take that money, invest in some buy-to-lets and have this amount of cash flow come out the other end instead. Again, as we started this conversation, that's the benefit of liking a spreadsheet, seeing a spreadsheet as your friend, not as your enemy. And it doesn't have to be complicated things that you put in a spreadsheet. Ah, you see, now I'm glad you said that because, you know, both of us have clients who bring you spreadsheets and some people's spreadsheets are work of arts. You know, they go into multiple pages and, you know, A speaks to, to Z on another page and all this kind of thing. And you just go, right, okay, you're going to need to agree to understand this. And also you've got to keep it up to date or it's worthless. How much time are you putting into this? Whereas a spreadsheet that works and tells you things, as you say, 
does not need to be big and it does not need to be complicated. No, you can literally do it all on one page. You list all your properties down the side and you store some details about them at the front, like it's a three bed house and I bought it then or whatever else you need to keep as information then. And you just could list in rent, 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 rent. And it just gets to be a very long, wide spreadsheet. But at the end, there's a subtotal, you know. It it could be that simple if you wanted it to be, or you get someone to help you, or you get someone to fill it in for you. But when they speak to you, and I mean, I've done this for years, I loathe accounting language. I loathe accounts. I think I'm good at maths and maybe I'm good at maths. I'm just rubbish at accounting. I just see a set of accounts and my head immediately panics because the whole credit, debit, right, what's where, just speak English to me, money in, money out, you know, and I really somehow have to process it that much harder. So I've set in place, I have a monthly conversation with my bookkeeper, really, she's a bit more like a financial director, but she handles all the bookkeeping for me, but we have that sort of a conversation. How's the portfolio going? Is it performing? Is there anything? So I like exception reporting, anything not done what it was supposed to do, any rent not come in, any repairs been more than we would have imagined them to be, anything come up and asked to be repaired that was repaired recently. So any problems. So that's really what I'm interested in, the output of the spreadsheet. Has the spreadsheet spotted a problem for me? If it hasn't spotted a problem, then it's performing, crack on. And then we have quarterly planning meetings like, is there anything else we need to do? How's the overall business performing? What was it you said you wanted to earn? How close are you to earning that? If we're a quarter of the way through the year, are you a quarter way towards your financial target? If yes, good. If more than, even better. And if less than, can we work out why and what we need to do about it? So you can bring in these skills. I mean, you and I are both property mentors. And that really is the advantage, if you like, of a property mentor. If you don't have the math skills, I'm working with a client at the moment and he's completely tied himself up in a knot over the word due diligence. He's just got himself. So am I comparing a two reception with a three bed two reception? Well, yes. You know, and he's got himself so tied in a knot of overthinking it. But that's the advantage of having someone go, right, look, take a breath. What are we trying to achieve here? And when you unpack what it is that you want to achieve, either whether it's with your overarching financial strategy or the specifics of whether you buy one house versus another house or whether you invest in one area than another area. You can speak English to someone and that person you're speaking English to, your mentor, has the ability to translate that into a spreadsheet or a decision-making tool or help you understand the answer that you got because you don't understand the answer you got. That's what you're paying your money for. You're paying to bring in the knowledge and the experience and the skills that you lack in your business. And I I think that's a good investment. Yes. Likewise, just being able to open your mouth in a safe space where yeah. someone goes, I don't know why you're thinking that. Mm. Or, you know, no, you're on the right lines. Crack on. Absolutely. Because as you say, people tie themselves up in knots about the most bizarre things. And that is because the outside world usually tells us we're doing it wrong because uh, you, well, normally behind the curve. 
And, you know, that that is comes back to that truth is don't listen to the man down the pub, isn't it? Um, <laughs> just just talk to other investors who are doing the, their own things. Well, I have to say our time is up, but it's been lovely speaking to you, Vicky. Particularly, I think you'll give inspiration to many others who think, well, all I want to do is single lets and hold on to them for all. When the noise about us is just telling us if you're not doing the sexy developments and, and all these terribly clever strategies, you know, with this, that and the other, you're somehow getting it wrong. Well, you're very much the living proof you're getting it right now. How do people find you on social media? Well, I think the easiest thing is if you can spell my name. So it's well, that's v- hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, it says you. <laughs> so it's V-I-C-K-I, make sure it's an I, and my surname is Wushe, W-U-S-C-H-E. And if you can spell it, then you can search me on Amazon for the books. You can search me on YouTube. You can find my website, which is vickywashay.com. And there are loads of resources there. So if you go to vickywashay.com forward slash resources, you'll find workbooks that you can use. There's something called the nine property principles. There's another free workbook, which is the four habits of the truly wealthy. So there are resources there that will really get you thinking about what you want property to do for you. And then you can even do sort of skills gap analysis on what are my strengths and what I'm missing out on. Well, thank you so much, Vicky, because as I say, you know, it's all about being actually from you and I becoming extremely wealthy through doing just what we want to do and as little as we want to do. Which does sound awful, but that's the truth, isn't it? But but that to me is what a wealthy life is. A wealthy life is having enough money to do what you love with the people that you care about. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist.